This is Post Ugly. I'm Ruth Solorzano. In 1905, Madam C.J. Walker developed a line of hair products that revolutionized the black hair care industry and led her to be the first black woman millionaire in America. Born to enslaved parents, she was the youngest of five, and after struggling with hair loss, she was inspired to create her own hair care system. Walker built her business, at first selling products directly to black women, then employing what she called beauty culturists to hand-sell her items. The self-made millionaire used her fortune to fund scholarships for women at the Tuskegee Institute and donated large parts of her wealth to the NAACP, the Black YMCA, and other charities. But as Walker built her empire, heavy criticism and racism against black hair was alive and well. An ad placed in New York Age magazine by a competitor in 1919 read, Race, i.e. black, men and women, may easily have straight, soft, long hair by simply applying plows hairdressing. And in a short time, all of your kinky, snarly, ugly, curly hair becomes soft, silky, smooth. Now this racism against black hair was nothing new. During slavery, often as a result of rape, a plethora of different hair textures were created. Black women with straighter hair would receive punishments, such as being shaved or worse, simply because they were deemed too tempting to the slave owners. Fast forward to 2018, and the global hair care market is worth $87.9 billion. And it's safe to say the appearance of hair is something emphasized and even idolized still today. Expectations and societal norms around self-image have embedded themselves into our culture. There is enormous pressure on appearance, and basing your self-worth on these preconceived notions can lead to depression, among other things. The way we perceive ourselves can remain stagnant for years, especially juxtaposed to the modern media image. However, How we are treated by our peers and family has the largest impact of all and can unknowingly lead to abuse. We can see physical abuse with the bruises, but that emotional abuse, like that wound runs so deep and it is beneath the surface. This is Latoya Smith. She's a therapist and owner of LCS Counseling and has been working in mental health for over 20 years. And I think you know, for some people, they don't realize that it can be sometimes even more traumatic because it takes, you have to unlearn those words. You have to unlearn how people made you feel in certain situations. And you have to unlearn, you know, or learn that certain emotions are not okay. And so it plays on your thinking and your emotions. And it, it again, it plays on how you perceive the world. Um, and so it, it takes some intense work sometimes to get through that. Self-esteem is a personality dimension that indicates the extent to which a person believes themselves capable of performing different types of tasks and how they might deal with various situations in life. Taking the brunt of emotionally abusive behavior can skew your way of thinking and lead you to question yourself. I was raised with um, my single mom. When I wasn't with my mom, I was with my grandmother or my aunts. Being raised around pretty much nothing but Black women, hair was the constant subject um, for any special occasion or just day-to-day life. Hair is, is high up on the list of things that was talked about in the household on a regular basis. Um, 
it, it's perceived that if you go out into the world with your hair, quote unquote, not looking right, that pe- that will reflect badly on the family, and especially my mom. Growing up, uh, whenever my hair was being done, and it would hurt, you know, the pulling out of the roots to make the little pigtails or to add little bobbins, it's painful. Uh, and my mom would always say, if you want to look like a flower, you're going to take the pain. And I grew up with that in mind. Like, you, in order to be beautiful, you have to go through a level of pain. As adults, sometimes we hold on to stuff that was said to us as young people, and that affects who we are. And so the importance of parents being careful about saying, oh, even if it's in, you know, just joking, oh, get over here ugly, or I don't even know why you look like that, or I can't stand that you do this, or look at your ugly hair. And those comments that are constantly made, um, young people begin to receive that message and then believe those things about themselves. And, you know, we, you know, when we're younger, we always hear those things, oh, sticks and stones can break my bones when they are going to hurt. But that's not true because they do hurt. <laughs> and they like, they stick to you. Um, and, it, and as you grow, it affects how you feel and think and be about yourself. You know what I mean? So that's why you find older, you know, adults that grow up to be, you know, still wounded children on the inside because we're holding on to um, what the people we loved, we trusted and the words that we were taught to honor have said to us. And so I think it's very important for parents to be careful about how they speak to their children because their children believe them. You know what I mean? It's like, you're my first line of defense or you're you're right before me. You know what I mean? So what you say, I'm going to believe. Like what you say, even in joking, you know, it's going to stick to me. I'm not going to forget those words. As I got into my preteen ages, my mom's hands uh, got to a point that she couldn't really do my hair anymore. And I didn't know how. <laughs> I had no idea what I was doing. So uh, I, I, I was listening to my friends who were all white for the most part. And they felt that I needed to be washing my hair every day. And that was their advice. It's gross if you don't wash your hair every day, not understanding that because my hair, the curls are so tight, washing it every day makes it break off. So I spent a lot of my childhood trying to figure out why I was going bald on one side of my head. I started braiding my own hair in high school, uh, and I did that from probably age 14, 15, until I cut it all off my senior year. As I just hit a point of frustration, like I, 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 being my senior year, like I was involved in so many different programs and applying for so many different colleges, I didn't really have the time to take three whole days to sit down and braid my hair. And that's the, that's the amount of time it took. Um, so I just cut it off. <laughs> How was that for you? Very freeing and scary. And as it grew back, I felt like my identity was growing back. As a teenager, the first places I was applying was in the mall. And people were flat out telling me, if, if you want to be taken seriously, maybe don't come in with that head wrap. 
even in college auditioning for plays, I was told not to wear head wraps if I didn't want to be considered for quote unquote ethnic roles. Uh, I absolutely 100% believe if I had the money and the time to perm and straighten my hair like <laughs> um, black women who are perceived professional do, I would have gotten further faster. But I didn't have the means to do that. Six years ago now, I got tired of the waste. Like I started becoming very aware of the amount of hair it took a year to, to keep this style. Um, and it's plastic. It's all plastic. And, and I just didn't want that to be a part of uh, putting that in landfills anymore. So I decided to get myself locked up. And I am never looking back. How is your family now when it comes to referencing your hair? Uh, they're definitely better. Um, movies like Bad Hair <laughs> and Good Hair has definitely opened my sister's eyes, which we've been having a lot of conversations around it in uh, reference to my niece. But I think my mom is still very much stuck in that place. You know, I'll see her and, and the first thing she has to say is, oh, my God, what's wrong with your hair? What is wrong with my hair? You tell me. Because <laughs> I didn't see anything wrong with it when I got up this morning. I'm South Asian. I was born in uh, Pakistan. I moved to the United States, I think, at the age of 24 or so. So I was, you know, pretty much born and raised, schooled in uh, Pakistan um, up to the level of medical school. So it was after graduation from med school that I moved to the United States. Many parts of the world, I would say, I don't think this is unique to South Asia, but certainly very, very prevalent in South Asia is this deep-rooted color consciousness. Uh, and people use all kinds of words for it. Um, I think people say skin color less. They say complexion more. Basically, you know, the number one complexion is the fair complexion. Like, I mean, this is something that's there throughout, like, you know, um, so applicable both to men and women, really to everyone. Uh, you know, the fairer skin is considered more more beautiful. I won't let my skin keep me in the shadows. Try Olay Natural White Beauty Bar. The darkest skin is considered, you know, the least beautiful, or some people would would, would just consider it plain old ugly. Skin tone for beautiful, naturally fair skin from head to toe. Now, step into the spotlight. This is your moment. Natural white from Olay. But this does affect women more than men, for sure. Pakistan's a very male-dominated society, and, you know, men get away with a lot. Like, men certainly, they rule the society. They run the society. In my case, for example, I can tell you that I became aware of what my skin color was, and, and I was... My skin color was dark and it's still dark. Um, you know, it's certainly uh, lighter than it used to be when I was a child. But, you know, I'm certainly on the, on the, on the darker spectrum 
of uh, skin colors in Pakistan around me. So I was aware of it very early on in life. It comes at you in a number of ways. Like in, in my case, I, I think the first recollection I have is maybe when I was six or seven, when I was um, in elementary school, the fairer complexion girl or boy would get picked. Someone would say, oh, of course, she's going to be picked as the fairy or as the lead child because she's fair. You know, you just become aware that my skin color, you know, or the fairer skin is the preferred skin. It's not my skin. I had it come at me from family as well. It started coming at me more actively where people would use a certain word. They call me Kali Kaloti, pitch black. And they would say, oh, look at her antics. Like, she doesn't know. Like, you know, she's pitch black. You know, look at yourself and look at how you're, you know, just being a kid, of course. Like, but, you know, look at her antics, like her drama and this and that. Like, you know, so that was repeatedly said to me by one of my aunts. I think some people have no idea how powerful words can be. You know what I mean? And how, how much, like, you know, we hear those things, you know, I'll never forget how you made me feel. I'll never forget how you treat. Like, those words can just, and we can all sit back and reflect on life and think about things that we've heard and how bad it cut when it cut. And sometimes people can just say it like, oh, matter of factly, but you know what, that, that hurt. Growing up, like, it was very hard for me. I suffered from extreme, extreme lack of confidence in myself. Um, you know, confidence about my looks, like to really my ability to do everything. I have the worst posture in the world. Just looking up, like like barely looking up, my head is almost like bowed down and I'm just raising only my eyes to look at the camera. I mean, it, it, it speaks, it screams of someone who's suffering. I think eye contact is huge from a child. Even if you give a, you know, somebody a compliment and they can't look you in the eyes, feel maybe ashamed, low self-esteem, a little bit embarrassed, don't believe it, it's awkward. You can look at somebody, young person, a child, and if you give them a compliment, if they like squirm, like, okay, like it's okay to receive this or maybe they've never heard it before. Just shying away from uh, attention. Like some people just love the light, right? And then some people are just so uncomfortable. I mean, it's okay. You know, it doesn't mean you have low self-esteem you don't like to be um, pointed out. But still, these are like little signs, right? Always putting yourself down, saying, I can't do, I'll, I'll never be, or they're always better than me. Never trying out for things. I've heard that this week. You know, when, when things get tough, they quit. They don't want to try out for the team because they're going to get cut anyway. Like, you know what I mean? Like, no. Like, even if you don't make it, the quote, you know, I never lose, I either learn or I win. But these are the little things that can help boost your self-esteem. I never had appreciation like from my parents. Never. Like um, no matter how good I did, it was just never enough. My father, by the way, also is an extremely good looking man in the traditional sense. Uh, and someone who was very appreciated for his looks. He was offered movies and TV roles and whatnot. Certainly very looks conscious and he also like said it several times to my mom don't make her wear that color look how she looks and again it's all about skin color like you know she doesn't look good don't make her wear yellow and I I would hear it and my mother was 
did not think there was anything wrong with it and would just come and convey what my father said about me. Just kind of like, oh, yeah, your father said it. This has to be passed on as an instruction or whatever. It's something you don't do because it doesn't look good. Don't send her out in the sun too much, you know, like so she'll tan. Like so anytime like you had played outside, etc., like and you would tan one remedy after another to bring your skin color back to what it is. And that's certainly something that still affects me. If I start getting too tan, I mean, I have to tell myself again, I have to talk myself out of it. I look myself in the mirror or I would ask my husband like, oh my God, did I tan too much? Just something that just somehow is there. I still am not completely free. As painful as it is, if we're going to heal, we got to confront that stuff. So, you know, me being a grown woman, okay, I got to confront what's going on with that little girl back then. You know, these women that you're speaking to, okay, I got to confront what's going on back then because you can't get over what you don't confront. So if it's something about me, okay, this bothers me. I don't like what's said. What was said to me was a lie. What was said to me was told for me from a wounded person. You know, I know my hair is beautiful. I know my skin is beautiful. You know, I know I'm made and created differently, but just because I don't look like the next person doesn't mean that I don't have beauty in it. And that, and, and some of that too is redefining, you know, or changing our definition of what beauty is. You know, it's not what we, you know, it's not the magazine cover anymore or the, the dopest Instagram page anymore. You know what I'm saying? Like we can look at that. It could be superficial. Yeah, it can have all the likes. But really, beauty, again, it's cliche, but it's the truth. It's way, it's, it's, it's deeper than skin level. It's deeper than what you see, you know, appears. So you got to find, you got to redefine what beauty is and you got to walk and thrive and be beautiful. Well, something that I wanted to put out in the world is... I wanted to put locks in my hair from a very young age. And I let people around me tell me how that was going to make me be perceived in the world and how that was going to make me feel. And I, my only regret is that I hadn't done it sooner. So stop listening to people around you. Be yourself. That's what I'm trying to say. Like if you want to go out there with your blue mohawk, go out there with your blue mohawk. Thank you to our special guest, LaToya Smith. She's a therapist and owner of LCS Counseling and has been working in mental health for over 20 years. If you know of a child being abused, please report it to your local children's advocacy center or call 1-800-4-A-CHILD. Original music and sound production by Hugo Fowler. This show was produced and edited by me, Ruth Solorzano. If you'd like to share your story, please write us at postuglypodcast at gmail.com. All information is kept confidential. If you like Post Ugly, please follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Check out our newsletter. Give us a review and subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. It helps other people find the show. And thank you to our courageous survivors for sharing your stories. (laughs) 